Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's now time to enter the Sports Zone with your host, Bob Kemp. And he did so in a couple of ways. That's drilled right field. Well struck. That one way back. That one on its way and gone. Corbin Carroll with a two-run homer and the Diamondbacks are within one. Opponents have hit 132 off of that changeup. This one drilled right field. That's back. That's got a chance. That's gone. Marte goes deep. Back to back homers for the Diamondbacks. And just like that, it's 3-3. Right-hand hitter climbs back in. Burns ready. Swing and a high fly ball. Well struck out towards left center field. That one on its way and gone. Over the bullpen. Moreno, a solo homer, and the Diamondbacks have the lead. It's 4-3. Crowd ready. Williams fires. That's drilled to center. Freelich going back. Turning and looking. It's off the top of the wall. In to score is Carroll. Fam on his heels. Walker into second. And the Diamondbacks add two. And it is now 6-3 Arizona. It just missed getting out of here. The 1-2. In the air, out towards left center and shallow. Guriel has it, and that's the ball game. And the Diamondbacks have taken game one here in Milwaukee. Play fake. Ewers. Slam. Touchdown, Mitchell. What a response by Texas. Bama scores the first touchdown of the night. Texas trails for the first time. Three plays, 75 yards. How do you do to reclaim the lead? Lost scrimmage. Second and goal at one. They run it again, and it's Gabriel. A push at the end. Looks like a touchdown. And it is. Dylan Gabriel. Full count to Caminero. Here's the set. And the pitch. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. Threat curveball. And Caminero is out on strikes. Five strikeouts for Jordan Montgomery in seven innings. Wind up from Gossman. And the 3-1 pitch. A swing and a fly ball. Right center field deep. Springer back. He will turn back and go. Kimbrell again takes the sign from JT. Three and two, the payoff pitch. Swing and a ground ball left side. Boehm to his left. Scoops it up. Throws on the run. He got him. Yes. And the ball game's over. The Phillies pitching rules the day as they take game one of the wild card series. A four to one win over the Marlins behind Zach Wheeler and the bullpen. Dial 602-260-1060. That's 602-260-1060. Or tweet the show at KDUSAM1060. And now, here's your sports zone guide, Bob Kemp on KDUSAM1060. Welcome to the Wednesday, October 4th edition of the Sports Zone. Not just the news and scores, the news and scores with analysis. In today's Sports Zone, right here on KDUSAM 1060 and KSLUX HD 2 100.7, the Diebacks, do they finish off the Brewers today? 
Oklahoma, Texas, who you got Saturday in the Cotton Bowl. Rays and Rangers, Twins and Jays, Phillies and Marlins. What stood out on Tuesday and who wins today? Here's today's schedule lineup on the show, which is the most informative sports talk Monday through Friday. In moments, we have the introduction of today's pipeline. 9.15, we'll have an Oklahoma, Texas preview. Ryan, Ryan Aber will join us from the Oklahoman. 9.30, it will be interactive action at 602, 260-1060, and also the local roundup. That will include some analysis of the Diamondbacks' Game 1 victory at Milwaukee on Tuesday. Then the final segment of the sports zone will be the national roundup. That will be topped by Rip from the Headlines and from the Wire. Then after the sports zone, from 10 to noon is the Extra Point, hosted by Cale. That will include more Diamondbacks and Brewers analysis and also around the Major League Baseball wild card round in the four games, the other three games that were played on Tuesday. Right now, on to the pipeline we go. Time for today's Pipeline, where the host reveals the hot topics for discussion. And we start with the KDUS poll question at KDUS1060.com. Today's question is, and the Diamondbacks sweep the wild card series with a win today at Milwaukee. And Kayla is here, and she has the early returns. Yes, leading the way. 75% of the vote, no trailing at 25%. The Diamondbacks on Tuesday combined the long ball, superior relief pitching, and great Evan Longoria defense to beat the heavily favored Brewers in Game 1. Today's Twitter poll question, who got Saturday at the Cotton Bowl, Oklahoma plus 6.5 or Texas minus 6.5? And, And Kayla, what's going on here? Uh, We have Texas minus 6.5 at 83.3% of the vote, Oklahoma plus 6.5 at 16.7% on Twitter at KDOS AM 1060. Back in the day, we used to call this the Red River Shootout, but in this now politically correct society we live in, OU and UT, is, it's now called the Red River Rivalry, which I have to say really slowly. Meanwhile, uh, back to uh, actually continuing the Spanning a Globe part thing here. Uh, you know, momentum is as good as your next day's starting pitcher. I've heard that for a long time. If you didn't believe that before Tuesday... Maybe the Texas-Tampa game one will change your mind. Maybe the Diamondbacks game will change your mind. But let's stick with the Rangers and the Rays. Do the Rangers finish off the Rays today in Tampa? Slash, it's actually technically in St. Pete. And there were 19,000 people at that game yesterday. We'll get to that eventually, I promise. Meanwhile, the Twins ended their 18-game postseason losing streak dating back to the 2004 season. The 18-game losing streak dating back to the 2004 season. Uh, The Twins' excellent pitching staff allowed just one run. And their uh, former first overall number one pick, Royce Lewis, accounted for all three runs with homers in his first two career postseason at-bats. Will the Jays bounce back? The Jays now have lost seven straight playoff games themselves over the years. Will the Jays bounce back and win, stay alive, basically, with a win today at Minnesota? Meanwhile, the Phillies, I don't think we're really much danger. Seldom. Zach Wheeler dominated, and the Phillies had enough offense to beat the uh, inexperienced Marlins in Game 1. Does Philadelphia finish off the fish today? Also, in addition to all these wild card questions, what else caught your eye from Tuesday's action? 
And uh, what are you looking forward to today or the rest of these series? One of their baseball notes, Terry Francona officially announced his retirement on Tuesday. Uh, hopefully, uh, the U of A alum will resurface on a network television broadcast somewhere as an analyst or studio analyst or something. Uh, he excelled in that area between his stints as a you know, World Series stints with the Red Sox and the Cleveland Guardians or the Indians when he was, they were in the World Series at that time. Is there any doubt that the U of A alum Terry Francona is a uh, Major Baseball Hall of Fame manager? All right, that's the pipeline for today. We get to all these tremendous topics and much more during today's sensational radio program. Anything else in your mind falls into the general discussion category, so whether it's from the pipeline or a sports topic on your mind, 602-260-1060, or you can tweet the show at KDUSAM1060 or twitter.com slash KDUSAM1060. Basically, the only rules are accuracy and objectivity. If you violate those rules or if you're just simply bad, you will be the target of this. Coming up next, Corey Weldon News Update. That'll be followed by an Oklahoma-Texas preview. Ryan Aber will join us from the Oklahoman. This, uh, you know, the annual Red River rivalry game. Last year, this game was 49-0. That's right. I think a lot of people forgot that it was 49-0 last year with Texas dominating from start to finish, obviously. Hopefully it'll be a little closer this year, just for drama purposes. Unless you're, uh, unless you're, you know, a burn orange fan, then you want to see a re- you know, kind of a reap from last year. Once again, at the bottom of the hour, more phone call time or phone call time general discussion 602-260-1060. And also, we'll get into more analysis of uh, the Diamondbacks' impressive Game One victory at Milwaukee. You're listening to Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and Kess Lux HD 2 100.7. Carving out time in your afternoon for the Doug Gottlieb Show right here on KDUS AM 1060, 100.7 HD 2 and KDUS1060.com. Weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. Welcome back to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp, Tom Hetty, and the Heartbreakers, and so forth. Uh, with the Sports Zone right here on KDUS AM 1060 and KSLUX HD 2 100.7. You're home to the Dan Patrick Show, live Monday through Friday from 6 to 9 a.m. Oklahoma and Texas unbeaten heading into Saturday's showdown at the Cotton Bowl. Out to the KDUS hotline we go. We're now joined the Sports Zone by Ryan Aber of the Oklahoman. And Ryan, Oklahoma 5-0, they're outscored their opponents 237-54, but not exactly a difficult schedule to this point. Arkansas State, SMU, Tulsa, Cincinnati, and Iowa State. How would you evaluate OU after five games? Well, certainly they've done what they needed to do against the schedule that, uh, like you said, was pretty light. Uh, one of our uh, columnists a couple months ago called the lightest schedule in OU history. But it takes a significant ramp up this weekend uh, with Texas, and we'll start tra- figuring out a little bit more about how improved this OU team is, especially uh, on the defense side. The early numbers have been really good, not only with uh, what they've done statistically, but also just the tackling has been a whole lot better. Things have been a whole lot crisper than they were uh, a year ago when things really fell apart for them on that side of the ball. But 
like I said, it's a, a massive, massive leap up uh, on Saturday against the Longhorns. Okay, so let's get into that defense a little bit better. Certainly statistically much better than, than recent seasons. Uh, and it, with the exception, I guess, of the first half last week against Iowa State. So you mentioned the tackling part. How also has the defense seemingly improved at this point? Yeah, I think they've been good with the exception of a couple of those plays, like you mentioned in the first half. They've been good at limiting uh, big plays defensively. They, they've they given up some yardage, and uh, but they're making teams earn uh, every bit of the points that they've had. And uh, that's been a big difference from what we've seen on OU's defense the last few years under Alex Grinch. And then uh, last year with Brent Venables and Ted Roof's first year, they were really bad tackling, would give up a lot of busts. Now, the, the biggest thing that they're not doing right now is they haven't been able to uh, record a lot of sacks. They're getting a, a fair amount of tackles for loss, making some things happen in the backfield, but not necessarily getting after quarterbacks the way they'd like to. Uh, that's something that they've, they've got to do. But, uh, you know, it's sort of at every level. They've got a whole lot more depth uh, than they do a year ago, than they did a year ago with adding uh, – some, some transfers, uh, some freshmen, including Peyton Bowen, who have played uh, played big roles for them on that side of the ball. So it's a, it's a completely different look than what we've seen from them on that side of the ball the last couple of years. Yeah, Brett Venables is his second-year head coach, is a defensive first dude. It's obviously his background. How's the scheme changed during his first couple of years as a head coach? How much of this uh, we, we believe is improvement this year is because the players are in the second year of this system now? Yeah, I think that's the big thing. They're getting a whole lot more comfortable with what Brent Venables uh, likes to do defensively. Because yeah, it was a a big change for them from Alex Grinch and what he did there. You know, the, the same look that we see with him at the USC versus what Brent Venables has done both at Oklahoma and Clemson and now uh, back with the Sooners, that same uh, type of uh, defense uh, that they like to use. And they talked about it you know, last year. Guys sort of said they had it down, but they were a step slow at times, just not uh, feeling confident and, and just sort of trusting their, their bodies to get them where they needed to be in that defense and, and that really uh, turned showed up and now you see a, a, a much bigger confidence in them defensively a much bigger uh, command of this defense and I, I think no better example of that than linebacker Danny Sussman who recorded a ton of tackles a year ago but a lot of them were five six yards downfield now he's making those plays at the line of scrimmage and really uh, forcing the issue uh, there on defense, and there's a lot of players around him who are doing the same thing. You know, let's flip this to the offensive side. Dylan Gabriel back at quarterback. Other than staying healthy, uh, what what has stood out about his performance uh, as opposed to last year? I think the decisiveness, the, the quick decision making. The uh, you know, last year he had a tendency to maybe hold on to the ball a little bit too long and. And, yeah, he was avoiding turnovers, but he was taking a lot of sacks because he was sort of, I don't know if afraid is the right word, but wouldn't pull the trigger on some of those throws. Now he's making the throws quickly. He's, he's not taking the unnecessary sacks. If he needs to throw the ball away, he will. Uh, but more often than not, he's finding those windows. And 
He's gotten a whole lot better at the deep ball. Now, that it helps only that they've got a much deeper wide receiver group than they did a year ago when it was uh, Marvin Mims and a couple of uh, guys who could make some, some short yardage plays, but not much else. This year, they found uh, Andrew Anthony, that's the uh, transfer from Michigan, has been their, their best deep ball threat. But also a couple of guys who were first-year players a year ago, Jaden Gibson and Nick Anderson have really turned into guys who can stretch the field as well. Nick Anderson in particular is a guy who struggled with injury a year ago, didn't see the field very much. He's been fantastic for them, five touchdown catches. But, uh, you know, Dylan Gabriel's sort of been the engine that gets that offense going, and, and he's been fantastic so far. And uh, he's been able to run the football a little bit, scored two Rushing touchdowns last week, first time in his career he had multiples in that regard. And uh, they're able to do that a little bit more when they feel a whole lot more confident in their quarterback depth uh, than they did a year ago. He got beat or he got hurt just ahead of the game and missed the, the Texas game. And they were uh, disastrous at quarterback, had to go to uh, Wildcat and all kinds of different uh, gimmicky looks just to try to get through that game. And obviously, didn't end up well for him. I'll get to that game from last year in a couple of moments. Talk with Ryan Aber of the uh, Oklahoman as we preview OU in Texas on Saturday. Uh, you mentioned a couple of guys on offense. His what the, is their approach offensively changed at all? And you know, you mentioned a couple of the individuals. Uh, you know, who else? Maybe uh, is there anybody else we should pay paying attention to specifically on Saturday? Oh, I, I think. You know, I mentioned the, a lot of the wide receivers, but Jalil Farouk is a guy who's come on strong uh, the last few weeks. He's a guy that I think a lot of people expected to be their number one uh, wide receiver. Uh, you know, they've, they've spread the ball around a ton recently, but he's sort of starting to look look uh, like he can grab that role. I think he's the guy that's poised to take off. You know, one, one thing to watch, I think, will be the running back group for Oklahoma We've seen uh, sort of a running back by committee approach uh, the last few weeks. It seems like Marcus Major is starting to emerge there. Now, Texas has been really good against the run, and OU has struggled this year uh, on balance. So they're, they're going to have to establish that run and be successful. I think Marcus Major, a uh, fifth-year guy, is the one who's most likely to have an impact at that spot on Saturday. You mentioned the 49-0 game a year ago. You know, you also mentioned that Gabriel didn't play in that game because he got hurt previously. Does that game play a role in anything this week? Oh, they, they say it doesn't, but then when you you really sort of start digging uh, in, into some of the things that have been said and also just the reactions of players, it clearly got to them and, and you know, some understanding of what happened last year as far as Dylan Gabriel not being uh, around and them uh, you know, not being able to move the ball to the air at all in that game. I think they have 39 passing yards against the Longhorns, won't uh, get anything done. But their, their defense, Brent Venables made it a, a, a priority to upgrade really at all levels, but especially in the front seven. Uh, last year they really struggled in this game in particular. I think those guys had their, their pride battered a little bit, not only in this game last year, but really throughout the whole season. And this is their first opportunity to really start to prove uh, that, that they're better and, and have turned a corner and are starting to be the kind of defense that Brent Venables envisioned at OU. 
Okay, I, I'm not suggesting that there's any hot seat thing going on here. I think that's sometimes an overrated term. But how important is this week's rivalry game for Venables? Oh, I think it's important when you look at you know everything last year happened there. Uh, you know, clearly if they lose this game, it's not the end of the world, and uh, especially if they're able to bounce back through the rest of the schedule, which uh, you know, like I mentioned isn't the toughest in the world. It's the only ranked team right now that's on their schedule. Uh, but it's, it's an emotional lift if they're able to, to win and perform well and, and also build some momentum for next year when they make that both teams, but OU in particular makes that leap to yeah. the SEC. And uh, it's going to be a, a different world over there when you talk about scheduling and the depth of the league, things like that. So. They really want to do that for, for recruiting purposes and also just for uh, keeping the momentum going in a positive direction after you know the disappointment of last season. Yeah, I'll get to that SEC thing here towards the end also. So keep that in mind. I will definitely uh, have that. Uh, I think that's my most likely my last question here. But before we get to that, specifically we talk about the OU defense uh, how do you think Venables and uh, the defense uh, the defense will try to match up this week against the Tech's offense? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is slowing down those wide receivers at, at Texas, and you know that really starts with Xavier Worthy and the job that he's been able to do over there. You know, he's one of the best receivers in in college football uh, for a reason, and and certainly he's been fantastic for them. This is unlike any matchup that OU secondary has uh, experienced so far this year and, and really probably since last year when they faced him. And he uh, found a, the end zone for one of those. So I, I think they've got to figure out a way to cover Worthy. They've been good in the secondary, not great. Woody Washington uh, hasn't been tested a lot. I would imagine that they'll try to match him up a little bit more. Uh, to, to get uh, get into that matchup, he's been their best and most experienced corner there. But also, I think freshman Peyton Bowen is going to play a big role in, in slowing down that Texas passing game. He's been really good at, at several different roles uh, back there. They've had to, to bounce uh, bounce some guys through uh, due to injury, uh, but he's really started to, to break through and become the player that they expected him to be uh, this year. And then the other thing is up front; they've got to figure out a way to get after Quinn Ewers, make him uncomfortable in the pocket, and don't give him that time to sit back there and pick off uh, you know, Xavier Worthy and all those other uh, good uh, receivers and, and tight ends that uh, Texas has. Okay, so let's flip this. The OU offense against the Texas defense. Uh, what are some of the keys uh, that we should be looking forward to uh, you know, paying attention to on Saturday? Yeah, I think uh, you, you started with the run game, like I mentioned earlier. You know, they've, they've rotated through there, but Marcus Major seems to have started to separate himself as the number one guy. They've really got to be able to establish that run and establish it early. Uh, that Their offensive line has been a bit of a work in progress. They feel really good about tackles, but uh, the, their left guard situation in particular has been a little bit fluid with Savion Bird getting hurt, Troy Everett. Uh, performing uh, you know, a little bit of a roller coaster for him uh, so far, but I think that they've got to figure out a way to uh, open up some holes in the run game while also uh, protecting Dylan Gabriel as much as possible because uh, you know they like well they do feel better about their depth, but they they're better with Dylan Gabriel healthy 
and uh, you certainly uh, need him to uh, be able to find his deep group of receivers up there. So a little bit of everything for them, I think, the offensively. But the biggest thing is that winning the battle up front, uh, really on both sides of the ball, but especially on that offensive side going against Texas, the defensive front, and uh, you know finding ways to, to uh, open up holes in the rushing game. Okay, bottom line for Saturday's game. Oh, uh, Texas is a six, six and a half, seven point favorite, depending on when and where you bet and so forth. Uh, who wins Saturday in Dallas? And if OU doesn't win, do they at least cover the number? Yeah, I think it, this game is going to be tight, I think. Uh, you, you look, uh, historically, there's been a fair amount of blowouts in this game. And generally, uh, a team that, that blows out uh, the opposition one year uh, winds up winning the next year, even if it's a close one. And I think that that holds true again this year. I think Texas has been through the fire. They've experienced this with beating Alabama earlier this year. I think Oklahoma is definitely better than they were a year ago, but uh, I don't know if they're 49 points better. But I do think OU covers. I think it's going to be a really tight game that goes down to the wire. But I think the Longhorns experience and their depth of what they're able to do, uh, especially on the offensive side, winds up uh, winning out over the Sooners on Saturday. Okay, so now if I've got my information right here, and correct me if I'm wrong about this, but your mark, uh, the Big 12 commissioner, not expected to re- attend the game, but the SEC commissioner, Greg Sankey, is expected to be there. Is that right? Yes, that is uh, absolutely right from my understanding. So, yeah, the, the Greg Sankey will be there getting a look at uh, what will be one of the SEC's great rivalries here moving forward. <laughs> and Brett Yormark is, uh, I think, just going to sit in his office across town and, and hope that uh, this isn't the first of two OU-Texas matchups because it's going to be really hard for him to avoid the Big 12 championship game if these yeah. teams uh, were to face off again uh, here in a couple months. Is Sankey going to flip the coin or something before? I'm just kidding on this part, but that would be uh, <laughs> hey, that would be I'm, interesting. I'm sure either OU or Texas would have a big uh, big objection to that. So that's true. I'm just curious, you know, with OU and Texas leaving the conference at the end of the year, does that mean anything on the field this season? I mean, they haven't played very many conference games, so I'm not sure if you know, like Texas Tech is out to get them or whatever. Is there anything to that, or am I just kind of asking an absurd question here? Oh, I, I think certainly when when these teams go on the road, they are, they're going to hear a lot about it. It amps things up a little bit, but I don't think it makes a, certainly a big difference on Saturday in this particular game, but I don't think it makes a big difference on the field moving forward. I think the biggest difference for both these programs is recruiting and, and the difference uh, in the level that they've got to recruit, especially on the uh, the defensive line, that uh, we've seen a lot of differences in the way OU has recruited uh, the last couple of classes in looking toward uh, that move. But yeah, I don't, I don't think it plays a big role on the field this year, but uh, certainly get them some deers, and if uh, you know, some team's able to jump up and bite them on the road, they're certainly going to celebrate it a little bit more uh, for uh, you know Big 12 pride uh, for yeah. sure. 
All right, Ryan, we really appreciate it. Uh, have fun on Saturday. I went to this game like a twenty, like twenty-five years ago. I've fortunately been to a lot of big-time sporting events over my years, and uh, that was one of the most fun days I've ever had, sports-wise. Yeah, it's a it's an environment unlike any in college football. I think any, any, <laughs> exactly. Any college football fan, any sports fan, has to experience it at least once because it's just so unique, and uh, it's always one of my most enjoyable days of the year so it'll be a, a good one on saturday and it sounds like it's going to be some football weather uh down there as well with a little uh little chill in the air so that's uh looking forward to that especially okay don't eat too much fried food is that right? i'll i'll do my best i'll, I'll try to <laughs> grab a grab a corn dog and uh you know maybe something sweet but uh try to stay away from anything too heavy on saturday for sure hard to do though for sure, at least yep. for me. All right, yeah, good, very, good very stuff. Much. Yeah, I'm sure we'll check back later in the season. Thanks, always good talking to you, Ryan. Thanks. Yeah, thank y'all for having me on. Have a great one. Our pleasure, Ryan Aber of the Oklahoman. And like, I'm not joking. That was one of the most fun days of my professional career. Uh, then that night, went out and partied a little too much, and had to get up and go back to Chicago on a plane the next morning. That was a challenge, but I was young in those days, so what the hell? It worked out Worked out okay. All right, next segment, phone call time, 602-260-1060, and also a local roundup time. We'll have some analysis of the Diamondbacks game one win at Milwaukee. We'll have a lot more analysis of the Diamondbacks during the extra point. Hosted by Kayla from 10 to noon, and we'll go through the other three wild card games yesterday and look ahead to today's four games. And um, will these be the final games of these series, or will they? Hopefully, there'll be at least a couple games tomorrow. As a baseball fan, I'm hoping for that for sure. You're listening to Sports Up with Bob Kemp on KDUSAM 1060 and KS Lux HD2 100.7. Download today to hear all of the national and local shows you love. That's the KTUS 1060 app. It's time for today's local roundup. Welcome back to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KTUS AM 1060 and KISS Lux HD 2 100.7. If you want to get in, we got room for you. We got a hustle up, though, in this segment. If you want to get in, 602-260-1060. General discussion if you'd like to chime on in. Meanwhile, the Diamondbacks uh, combined the long ball, a long ball also, and out, uh, outstanding relief pitching and some Evan Longoria defense uh, to get the upper hand in their wild card series at Milwaukee. Arizona, which has really not been home run reliant during the regular season very often, went deep three times off of Corbin Burns. Then they basically, you know, they they. they obviously uh, Christian Walker in the ninth inning got the big hit to quote break the game open but the bullpen you know shut out ball after Brandon Fott was done in the third inning uh the rest of the way the bullpen which had two guys that were in the minor leagues earlier this season also a guy that was released by a major league organization in August 
those guys were amongst the group of pitchers that you know sealed the deal for the Diamondbacks, and obviously two tremendous defensive plays, actually three uh, tremendous defensive plays by 37-year-old third baseman Evan Longoria. Throw all that together, and the Diamondbacks victorious yesterday. Uh, the Diamondbacks uh, started down 3-0 after rookie Brandon Fott predictably was overmatched by the moment and couldn't keep the ball in the in the park. Basically, those are things we've seen for. Uh, frequently, I think, frequently during the season. Uh, but Arizona, surprisingly, went deep three times off of Corbin Burns, uh, starting in the third inning when Corbin Carroll hit a two-run bomb on a changeup. And then the next pitch, Cattell Marte homered. Uh, the next inning, Gabby Moreno homered to give the Diamondbacks a 4-3 lead. The Diamondbacks uh, squandered scoring chances for innings four through nine until Walker's uh, game-clinching two-run double in the ninth inning off of all-star closer Devin Williams. The Diamondbacks' bullpen uh, certainly benefited from the three great plays by Longoria. He is 37 years old, Levin Longoria. Uh, his three plays uh, basically you know, saved a minimum of two runs. Who knows what would happen after that, but at least for sure two runs. Tori Lavello and Craig Council both used their really all of their high level high, ah, high leverage relief pitchers. That's kind of like Red River rivalry. I gotta slow down on these things. Uh, but uh, most significantly, you know, moving forward, uh, you know, Williams, I mentioned the all star closer for Milwaukee, threw thirty one pitches, only fifteen strikes, by the way. Seems unlikely Council will be able to use Williams the next two days. Uh, it is winter go home for the Brewers, so maybe they'll stretch it and see how long they can, you know, how long they can use and ride Williams at this point and the rest of their bullpen. But we'll see. Uh, also, in between Moreno's homer and Walker's double, the Diamondbacks squandered numerous scoring opportunities. They were 0-for-7 with runners in scoring position before Walker's ninth-inning blast off the wall in center field. Uh, the Brewers for the game, by the way, were 3-for-11 with runners in scoring position, and for the game, the Brewers left 11 men on base. Bottom line, so much for the Diamondbacks' regular season woes at the end of the season with those four consecutive losses and you know lack of run production. Boom, playoffs begin. And they explode offensively against uh, one of the best starting pitchers in Major League Baseball. So today at 4.08 our time, uh, Zach Gallon on his normal four days of rest can clinch the series. Uh, also, one of the Diamondbacks note, uh, outfielder Jake McCarthy was a late scratch from the playoff roster for this series because of an oblique injury. He was replaced in the roster by Jace Peterson. McCarthy could be missed in late innings because of his speed and his defense. All right, on to the phone lines we go. Matt in Phoenix. Hi, Matt. Bob, how are you? Good. Good. A couple thoughts about that baseball game uh, last night. Um, Lavello did a nice job with his bullpen. Uh, I was kind of thinking the same thing. Ginkle for two pending pitch count and then um, – yeah. You know, Seawall to, to end the game. Um, I thought Fott got a little unlucky. Um, I didn't think he was great, but better than the numbers indicated. Uh, a couple of blue pits. Obviously, the home run thing is still a significant issue with him. And he's got to be better with 0-2 pitches. You know, can't leave those in the middle of the plate. Um, I thought there were some massive um, 
strategical things that I didn't agree with, specifically from soon-to-be uh, Mets manager Craig Council. Um, <laughs> I uh, I didn't necessarily understand using Williams there. Um, if I'm up 4-3, I absolutely am, not down 4-3, um, yeah. especially considering your questions surrounding the starting rotation over the next one or two days if, if necessary. Um, mm-hmm. Their base running was atrocious. Yes, um, it was. I, I didn't. I unfortunately didn't have a chance to listen early on because of a, a work meeting. But that was uh, Gerardo Parra running around the bases until he's tagged <laughs> out. Bad base running. Um, was Luis Torero was the worst actually? Oh, but, you okay. know, it's just <laughs> he was like one. a he, he was like a t-ball guy. He just randomly got tagged. And obviously, Luis Torero. Neither team that was, was bad yesterday, In scoring position. Ooh, um, whoa. <laughs> wanted your thoughts. I despise walking the bases loaded. Um, I'm not sure I would have pitched to Christian Walker in the eighth inning if I was uh, if I was the Brewers. Do you have any thoughts on that? I never, I never really considered it at the time, so okay. I guess I don't have any thoughts. I, I don't disagree with you now that you bring that up, but it's uh, – the first time I actually thought about that, but uh, okay. you know, you know, you got your best pitcher out there, and I agree with you. I thought that uh, the Williams thing was a strange thing, and now I can't. It's the playoffs, yep. and they're it's win or go home for them. So I don't. It's hard to believe, especially after he threw thirty-one pitches, only fifteen yep. strikes yesterday. That Williams is going to throw three consecutive days, which yep. they might need him to at least put the best thing that happened to the Brewers today is if they didn't have to use their high leverage relief pitchers, but it's hard to imagine a scenario that that could happen. Even Peralta has been good for the most part, but I'm not sure even if he's good, if he goes more than like six. Without a doubt. Yeah. There's some volatility there too with him. So absolutely. um, The blue job, I talked about them before the playoffs. I'm sick of them. I'm done with them. Is this an (laughs) organizational thing or do they just need a new manager? Because, They've pitched really well all year, and they can't get a timely hit to save their lives. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts in terms of the makeup of that team? They kind of feel, uh, I don't know if it's this dysfunctional, but kind of feel a little Chicago White sox that. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's the man. You know, I don't think he's a very good manager, but you know, he's better than the better than the previous manager they had. So, That's fair. Um, but. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I think this is the fault of the players, especially they've got guys that have had offensive success before who have been not good this year, and yeah. they've been bad with runners in scoring position yeah. for a large part of the season. Yeah. Uh, the organizational thing you mentioned, they have lost now seven consecutive playoff games, this organization. Uh, that's over a whole bunch of years and a bunch of managers and you know all kinds of executives and so forth. But, yeah, something going wrong there for sure. Totally agree. And lastly, um, wanted to address with, uh, you know, big games like Oklahoma, Texas, Bama A&M on deck. Again, I come back to the game I'm most intrigued by is is out here on the West Coast, um, Washington State going to UCLA. Um, Both teams off of a bye. Um, I'm not interested in anything in regards to the the number on the game or, or betting it, but from a, an X's and O's standpoint, um, what are your thoughts on the game? Can UCLA, who's shown to be improved on defense, but against a not very great 
offensive schedule contain Cam Ward? And, um, you know, just overall, do you have an opinion on, on who may win that game? I don't. And you're going to hate this answer. I apologize. But for the reasons you mentioned, I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> so you went through a lot of the reasons why I'm baffled. Um, yeah. you know, I think it's a, uh, one of those learning games. Hopefully I'll learn something Absolutely. out of this. Uh, but uh, I have no inclination of you know trying to predict this game or bet it, certainly. I think it's UCLA because, you know, the, the conference cannibalizes itself. And UCLA's already yeah. got a loss in the conference. So, you know, next in line has to be Washington State, uh, unfortunately. So um, I'm just very intrigued by the outcome of this game to see uh, which team is real. Right. I totally agree. I, intrigue with the outcome of the game is an excellent way to put it. I'll, I'll go with that. Okay. Appreciate it always, Bob. Okay, good stuff. Thanks. That's an excellent way to phrase it. I wish I would have. I'm going to steal that. Hope I can remember that. Uh, but uh, that's uh, – I got no clue uh, about that game. I thought about that game for about two minutes. Went through some of the same scenarios that uh, he just mentioned. And I went just kind of like I didn't I, – right now I'm throwing my arms up. You have to trust me. Right now I'm throwing my arms up. I have no idea. I I don't know if I'm to the point where no score or result on either side would prize me. I would be surprised if it weren't a close game. But I don't really have any idea, quite frankly. So, But I'll be watching for sure. And that will be one of the games I'm most curious to watch this weekend. All right, next segment, we'll wrap up the spectacular sports zone for today. Don't forget the extra point upcoming. The next two hours, much more in the Diamondbacks and the baseball playoffs, hosted by Kayla from 10 to noon. I'll turn those picks into gold. Wall-to-wall NFL coverage and the biggest stories coming to you from 3 to 5 p.m. The Rich Eisen Show, here on KDUS AM 1060 and KDUS1060.com. It's time for today's National Roundup. Welcome back. Final segment today. Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KISS Lux HD 2 100.7. Uh, quickly, before I get to the National Roundup, the, the Diamondbacks have announced that uh, they've extended Mike Hazen's contract through the 2028 season. The uh, general manager, I don't know if that's, I'm not sure if that's his official title. You'd know what he does. He runs the or baseball organization. And the operation there, uh, the Hazen uh, contract extension uh, certainly ends the speculation that he might be leaving and return to Boston to run the Red Sox front office. All right, quickly, some other things, uh, kind of a combination of from the headlines and from the wire. Uh, from the NFL, the Patriots desperate for quarterback help. This is the definition of desperate. Uh, they've reacquired J.C. Jackson, who at one point in September – was the lowest-rated corner in the NFL by at least one of the metric rankings. Uh, yeah, he left, signed a big-money contract with the Chargers, got hurt last year, has been back this year, and was awful in the first couple of games, hence that bad ranking from the metrics people. And that have, they matched it with the eye test. He was bad. Meanwhile, Texans left, uh, left guard Kendrick Green suffered a torn meniscus in his right knee against the Steelers. He is the fifth starting offensive lineman of the uh, Texans to go down with an injury this season. Uh, and they continue, uh, you know, C.J. Stroud's been good, and they've won the last two games. And amazingly, haven't been sacked. He hasn't been sacked the last two games with basically their entire offensive line injured. 
College football Iowa have confirmed on Tuesday the starting quarterback Cade McNamara will miss the rest of the season with torn ACL. Indiana fired their offensive coordinator, Walt Bell, uh, but they're, they're firing the wrong coach here. Tom Allen is, I think, the worst coach in the Big Ten, but he's got an insane buyout. Uh, so will IU, not exactly a football program or you know, not exactly known for their football program, or they're going to buy out Tom Allen. I believe it's $10 million already says buyout. And he's uh, had one good season as a head coach, and there was the pandemic season, which was kind of phony. In fact, it was completely phony. Meanwhile, Padres third baseman Manny Machado underwent surgery to repair, repair a, uh, uh, a tendon in his elbow. Uh, you know, he's going to be out uh, anywhere. Recovery time, I should say, is between four and six months. As far as the NBA, Philadelphia, James Harden showed up for training camp. I'm not exactly sure why the Sixers are training in Colorado Springs, uh, but they are. But he showed up today, apparently. Obviously, all the offseason stuff. And uh, also in college basketball, Bronny James intends to play for USC this season, according to his dad, LeBron. Of course, he had the heart situation uh, earlier this year, but uh, he intends to play this year for USC. All right, next two hours, stay tuned. Much more on the Diamondbacks, more on the NL and AL wildcard games from yesterday, and we'll talk about today's game. All that and the extra point hosted by Kayla from 10 to noon right here on KDUS AM 1060 and Castle Lux HD 2 100.7.